Welcome to UIDP Conversations, where we have candid discussions about partnership and collaboration across academia, industry, and government. I'm Sandy Ma with UIDP, and today I'm joined by Eric Corey Freed, architect and thought leader in deep green building design and director of sustainability for Canon Design. Welcome, Eric. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here, and thank you to everybody listening. Please tell me just a little bit about your background and what makes it exciting for you to come to work every day. Gosh, I'm an architect, uh, you know, pretty, I think pretty typical architect. Uh, in the only real difference is that I'm an architect who is uh, questioning the, the impact that the projects have on our buildings. I think that, you know, but at the end of the day, I, I you know, I'm, I love design. I love behavior change. I love manipulating people and how they go through a space. I love shaping that experience. And that, that's really at the heart of it. But for the last 30 years, I've been dedicated to sustainability. I realized very early in my career that my mission, my massive transformational purpose, my MTP as we call it, uh, was that I need to make every building a green building, not just the ones I design, but every single building. So that's why throughout my entire career, I've, I've not only done design, but also teaching, writing, speaking, consulting, and, um, uh, and nonprofit work and because I feel like we need to have that impact. So that's, that's, that's me. Well, sustainable design has been your mantra for all these years. What changes have you seen over the last 30 years in terms of sustainability as a priority in architecture? The changes have been remarkable on the one hand, but on the other hand, they're not remarkable at all because I've wanted these changes for 30 years. So I go through this very weird back and forth of, of course, that's the way it is because that's the way it needs to be to what's taking so long, you know, so it's, a, it's always a flood of emotions. There's, there's been more activity in the last three years in the alternative energy, renewable energy, ESG space than probably in the, in 13 years that preceded it. And maybe even in the 30 years that preceded it, depending on how you account for it. So it's, it's on the one hand remarkable and great, and I'm I'm more energized and excited now than ever. But on the other hand, why couldn't we have done this 30 years ago? So I I'm torn. Probably like many of many of you listening, <laughs> I'm torn with that impatience and optimism at the same time. Well, there have been some changes in the past several years, and some techniques and technology that has helped to accelerate the um, acceptability in this area, and also the demands in this area. What are some of the challenges that remain for integrating sustainability factors into architectural design across the board? Nowadays, we we've really built it into a science. In fact, there's a formal discipline called building science, which is a large part of what my team and I do every day. Right, we're able to model the building with a great deal of accuracy down to the watt per foot of you know, how much energy the building is designed to consume, um, how much it could potentially produce. So there is, there is a rigor to it and a science to it that we didn't have 30 years ago when it was a little more anecdotal, <laughs> to be sure. Uh, you know, 30 years ago, I was building buildings out of straw bale and, you know, and kind of tinkering. It was a little more tinkering. This is now much more scientific and modeled, which is great. But on the other hand, I feel like we're still suffering from the same mentality that got us here. I stumbled upon this feeling many, many years ago when I realized with my clients that I was arguing to do things that 
any sane, rational person would do. Like, for example, why am I even arguing with you? It, please, is it okay if I don't put cancer-causing you know, uh, chemicals in your building? Is that, all, is that all right with you? Why am I even, <laughs> why am I even arguing that? What, and how in a rational society would that ever make sense? So I don't. We just do it now. And, um, you know, and that leaves, there's plenty of other things to discuss that the client, you know, should make a decision on. But so, you know, but we're struggling with this idea that we must make a business case for every single thing in the building. And those of us in sustainability have gotten really good at making that business case. And right, it's, it's a large part of what we do. And I, I think now at this point in my life, and at this point in the state of the world, I almost feel foolish that I'm on the Titanic and it's sinking and I'm arguing why we need life vests. You know, it just seems very strange for those of us in sustainability of like, why am I still arguing this with you? And so in a large sense, we, we, we don't argue it, we just do it. In another sense, we also are able to model this stuff in such a way that I'm able to not only give the business case, but even give non-financial business case reasons of why this system is better than this system because it has acoustical benefit or comfort benefit or patient experience benefit or student learning benefit. So that's the biggest challenge is overcoming that old school mindset and confronting it with reality. Yeah, it's a different framework. It's a different way of a lens of looking at buildings because it is more than the cost of the, the brick and mortar. It's the cost of, of delivering a building that will sustain people and also contribute to the human experience as they use it. Um, people have looked at design for a long time as, um, from the aesthetic point of view, but this is, goes to health, it goes to performance, and it goes to productivity. Exactly. You know, it's, we've, we, have, we have decades of data now showing that just adding natural light and views into a classroom boosts to student performance, boosts student test scores, boosts reading comprehension, so, you know, one of the one of the big shifts that that we undertook at Canon Design over the last few years has been we're not selling you on sustainability. It's very easy to get in that mindset of, hey, do you want a green roof? Hey, do you want solar panels? Hey, we can do that for you. We're not selling them on sustainability. Sustainability gets value engineered out. Sustainability gets squeezed out of the out of the budget all the time. I'm not selling them on sustainability. I'm selling them on the benefits that sustainability brings. I'm selling them on outcome. So our normal approach now, and this wasn't always the case, but our normal approach now is if I can improve student test scores, does that have value to you? If I can reduce patient recovery times, does that have value to you? Let's put a dollar sign on it if you want to make the business case, but what is the value it has to you? And then I will design to those outcomes. And then because we're designing specifically to those outcomes, it is integrated throughout the entire process. Every member of the team is designing towards those same outcomes. There are other non-sustainability outcomes that they're also designing toward, which is great, but we have a list of outcomes that we're targeting. We're designing towards those. We're then measuring those outcomes to see if our design is achieving those goals. And those things then do not get value engineered out because they're baked into the DNA of the design solution. It's not a soft part of the cell. This is part of the yeah. reason you're building this building. Yes. So, you know, we're, we're designing, we're designing cancer centers now all over the world, really. And we're designing them with how can the building be a participant in the healing for cancer patients? How can the building contribute to this idea of eradicating cancer, right? Which many of our clients, that's their, you know, MD Anderson 
their goal is to eliminate cancer entirely, just wipe it off the face of the earth. What a beautiful vision that is, right? Well, how does the building contribute to that if a traditional building is filled with cancer-causing chemicals? If a traditional building ignores the fact that sunlight aids in recovery, that giving patients freedom of choice somehow boosts their mood and triggers endorphins in their brains and makes them feel better, and, and that aids with healing and reduces patient med time and all these other outcomes that we can design towards. So we're just embracing that fully and baking it in. And the clients are partners with us because they're helping decide those outcomes. And we're then designing to the outcomes that they helped identify. And so it's a very different approach to sustainability than I think what most people are used to, which is, hey, we got a building. Let's, you know, it's, uh, sustainability is like uh, cinnamon. We just sprinkle it on the top. So let's sprinkle on some green roof. Let's sprinkle on some solar panels there. Green building. We don't do that. So you are the author of a number of books about architecture and sustainable design, but your most recent uh, book is called Circular Economy for Dummies. Tell us about this book's relevance. Um, and for those of us who don't work in sustainability jobs every day, why it's needed and why it's valuable. The, the book came about um, one, of my, one of my grad students from Boston Architectural College uh, Kyle Ritchie is his name, who's just a, a brilliant guy. He was very, he was pushing me on, on the circular economy. And I was, I still thought of it honestly as, uh, well, that's, you know, recycling and zero waste and, you know, it has its place, but I wasn't, I wasn't that passionate about it. And then he's the one that pressured me into, well, let's, let's reach out. And um, I have a book idea for circular economy. I'm like, okay. So I reached out to my publisher, Wiley. And they said, they said, we love this idea. We want, we were going to ask you if you knew anybody to do it, oddly enough. And, um, and so the book came together very, very quickly. Um, and then, of course, then we had to write it. Um, and the circular economy is, if you don't know, it's basically an alternative to the way we make things. The traditional economy is also known as the linear economy. It's a take, make, waste approach. We pull natural resources out of the ground that are valuable. We then convert them into products and then eventually convert them into landfill. It's basically making everything into landfill in the dumbest way possible. That's the traditional linear economy that we've been following for the last 200 years. And it's failing because it's giving us issues around waste and water pollution and air pollution and, of course, climate change and on and on and on. The circular economy looks to bend those linear uh, inputs into loops. So instead of take, make, waste, it's more harvest, make, and remake is probably the way to think about it. When we started the book, I only knew, you know, all of the circular economy stuff that I knew about was going on in the Netherlands and in the EU and in the UK. In fact, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which, is, which was a great partner with us on the book, uh, you know, they, they were famous for popularizing the circular economy over there. And so when we started on the book, I, I was talking to our friends at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. I was talking to other friends in, in the Netherlands about it. And, um, and we kind of stumbled upon this idea that the book really needed to be about making the circular economy popular here in North America. Let's make it as ubiquitous in North America as it is in Europe. And so all of the companies that we feature, generally speaking, are North American companies by design. Um, we were initially worried that we wouldn't find many and we discovered there's a ton of amazing companies doing amazing things right here in North America. There's, uh, at last count, there were over 350 companies in the book that we had talked to and interviewed and 
put in and every single chapter has a sidebar interview with different people. We talked to Amazon and Intel and Patagonia and Adidas and I can't even remember all the names. And every single chapter has a feature sidebar with, with, one, of, with one of those folks. It showed me that the circular economy is not only so very needed, but every CEO should be thinking about their circularity approach in their business, no matter what they're producing. So, uh, you know, it, it got me from thinking, oh yeah, well, I'll write a book about recycling to, oh my gosh, this is our roadmap to redesign the world. And it's available. You can get books anywhere, anywhere you get books, you can get this book. And, um, and if you're, if you don't like, uh, it's printed on recycled paper, of course, but, but if you don't want the paper, you can also get the ebook, which, um, there's an audio book, but it's not, I asked for, I asked to get, um, somebody with gravitas like morgan freeman or somebody to but apparently that was that wasn't in the budget so i think it's just some guy uh, you know read it's not me it's not my voice i have a terrible voice anyway but it's it's not morgan freeman i'm sorry to say so here's the final question for you you were kind enough to participate in the engineering research visioning alliance's inaugural visioning event so we had over a hundred scientists, researchers, and, and technical experts who came and they talked for two days about the role of engineering in mitigating climate change. I was wondering if you would be willing to give us just a quick thought about the value of convening that kind of a group. The amazing thing about that type of gathering is that on the one hand, it's, it's surprisingly effortless. Here's what I mean by that. You know, I speak at about 50 events a year. And the expectation is I'm coming to an event. Oh, it's he's the keynote and he's going to deliver a finished body of work. And it has to have a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has to make sense, right? There's a, there's a narrative to it. And so in a certain sense, I'm showing you old stuff. The interesting thing about the Irvig gathering was you have a bunch of people in the room from all different backgrounds, all different disciplines. They're coming and they weren't, pre they weren't presenting the pretty finished object. They were saying, this is what we're struggling with. These are the questions that are remaining unanswered. These are the questions we're uncovering in the process. It was very much a kind of a look behind the curtain type of mentality. And if you think about it, there are very few opportunities that those of us that are both in practice and in research get to do. We're either in practice and we're selling and closing and pitching and proposing, you know, or we're in research and we're rather myopic in, in that research this was a great forum just to kind of, let's say, take your shoes off and um, and st just start asking the questions. And, and surprisingly, we don't get a lot of opportunities to do that. And yet, this is the exact thing that we need to do to solve these problems, right? We need to be asking, what are the questions that need to be asked? What are the challenges that need to be fought? Um, what are the market failures that need to be addressed? And so just having the space to do that was very powerful, believe it or not. And um, so I've, I, for one, really appreciate just getting to participate. I was probably the only non-PhD there, I think. But, you know, there, you know, as a, it, it was, it's always, it's always fun to be kind of a normal person in a room full of extraordinary people. Um, and so, you know, I was very humbled to be there because the, you know, the, the level of science and discussion was there. And I, I was, you know, I felt like I was in, you know, just trying to keep up, but it was, it was, it was lovely. And I, I think we need more of these types of events in order to ask these large 
typically unasked questions. Thank you to Eric Corey Freed, Director of Sustainability for Canon Design and author, architect, and subject matter expert for joining us today for UIDP Conversations. UIDP supports professionals at top-tier innovation companies like Canon Design and world-class universities build better partnerships. Learn more at UIDP.org.